MacCast, Sunday, January 30th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Hopefully you are having a uh, a great, wonderful day out there in uh, podcast world. Things are going uh, pretty well around here for me. Uh, just getting in the in the groove of things, sitting down to go over some of the latest news happenings and goings-ons in the Apple and Macintosh community. And looking over the show notes, yeah, we have a few things to talk about in this episode. We're going to be getting into some follow-up on uh, Apple having to do third-party payment systems in some countries. We're going to talk about a little bit of Apple TV Plus growth and how numbers are looking there. Actually, uh, quite a few numbers to get into in this episode. We'll also uh, talk about some new features. Apple has some new versions of their beta software out and there's a few highlights and things that I'd like to discuss and point out to you. And then uh, we'll dig into Apple's fourth quarter numbers, or really it's the first quarter 2022 earnings, but represents the fourth quarter of the year. And we've got some good numbers and, and things to discuss in there. So a lot of good positive Apple news this past week. And then we're going to get into some of your feedback, uh, dig in a little bit more on KVM and really KVM alternatives. Uh, last episode, we talked a little bit about that and I uh, asked for some help from the community and you definitely chimed in. Uh, we're going to help you get rid of a little color cast on your iPhone if that's something that's been bothering you. We're going to go back in time and uh, talk about mm, how to get music on to your devices. And then I do have a listener thing of the moment this this week. So uh, somebody sent in a really cool little app that I want to share with you and tell you about. And that will round out this episode. So it should be a pretty good one. Should be a lot of fun. I say we just jump right into it. What do you think? So we're going to kick off talking a little bit more about last week's compliance by Apple with a ruling from the Dutch Authority for Consumers and Markets, ACM. And there, Apple is being required to allow dating apps in the Dutch App Store to offer alternative payment methods and options in addition to Apple's you know, in-app purchases, uh, something that's been kind of making the rounds. Well, now that same authority has reviewed Apple's proposed solution and ruled that it does not sufficiently meet the requirements of that previous ruling. And not only that, they've actually fined Apple 5 million euro uh, and will continue to find Apple each week up to 50 million euros until Apple complies with what they want them to do. And at issue, basically, they're saying that Apple's proposed solution requires developers to ask for and receive a special approval for an App Store entitlement uh, that will allow them to point to third-party third party payment methods. So you have to kind of say, hey, I intend to offer a third-party payment method in my app, Apple. Can I do it? And uh, you have to get the special entitlement issued. And so they're taking issue with that. And also they say that the developer must choose between a third-party in-app purchase option or with sending customers to a payment option outside the app. And the ACM says that Apple 
really needs to allow developers to offer both those options if they wish to do that. And then one other thing that uh, the ACM didn't specifically bring up as an issue, but just something that's still outstanding with Apple's, you know, sort of policy around this is that Apple has said that they are going to take a commission from that third-party payment system. They'll have a they'll still have a cut, but they haven't said what that amount is going to be. So the ACM doesn't seem to have any objections to Apple not revealing that yet, but that is just another outstanding issue around this. So we'll have to wait and see how Apple responds. Uh, They haven't responded to this as far as I know yet, Um, but it's going to get very costly for them if they don't kind of uh, address it. So we'll have to wait and see on this one. Another thing going on with developers, actually, there's a few things happening with developers this week. Developers were also apparently not happy with iCloud and CloudKit, and really specifically iCloud syncing. Uh, iCloud or CloudKit technology, that's the technology that makes it easier for developers to build in iCloud syncing into their apps. And a lot of developers have taken advantage of CloudKit, uh, but they were saying over the past few months especially on Apple's developer forums, that there has been an issue uh, with the syncing not working reliably. According to 9to5Mac, they said specifically the developer of GoodNotes had had reports from users that they were getting consistent errors that made it seem like the iCloud service was not available. Now, luckily, that app actually retries syncing and ultimately gets through, but the syncing reliability in third-party apps has definitely been affected, and it seems to be related to updates to macOS and iOS. Developers have have been complaining since about the early iOS 15 betas, and they say that Apple had been largely silent and really not responsive. And Many had become so frustrated that they even started disabling iCloud syncing in their apps altogether and, you know, coming up with manual solutions and workarounds and stuff like that. And it seems like from the 9 to 5 Mac report uh, coming out that that was enough pressure from the community uh, to help Apple either take notice or at least take action or it feels that way. Maybe they were already working on this solution, but literally within days of this report coming out, Apple contacted developers or started contacting developers, letting them know that the cause of these 503 errors, these sync errors and sync failures had been fixed. Now, they didn't offer up exactly what they addressed or what the issue is, but apparently it is now resolved. Um, And I don't know why it took so long. Like This is sometimes, unfortunately, classic Apple. I don't know why it took so long for them to just address it, but uh, apparently a little bit of media, a little bit of noise, and uh, we can make things happen in this community. And then one other interesting thing happening for developers this week, Apple is also now apparently allowing unlisted apps in the App Store. And what does that mean? Basically, these are apps that will be available via a direct link or through the Apple Business Manager or Apple School Manager but would not be found on the App Store if you were just to browse around or search within the App Store. They're also not going to be featured or highlighted by Apple in any way. So really the only way to know about them or find them would be through a direct link. And why would a developer want that? Well, these would be apps for like employees, uh, for specific events, for being sales apps or research apps. So say you had an app to help your internal sales team sell your products using iPads, you could distribute that uh, directly, or maybe you had an iPad app for research teams at your university. Uh, It's those kinds of apps. So for these types of apps, 
Developers can now submit a request to Apple and actually receive a link that will point directly to the app on the App Store. So you can put it in kind of the secret App Store, the uh, the unlisted App Store, and get it out to your users. So that's an interesting change. Uh, prior to this, I think you had to do kind of a sideloading thing through um, some of Apple's business tools. And um, seems like you still can do that, but uh, this will be kind of easier and more direct, I think, for a lot of those types of apps. Looks like Apple TV Plus continues to slowly gain U.S. market share. According to a new report by Just Watch and pointed out by 9to5Mac, Apple gained U.S. market share among streaming services in the fourth quarter of last year. According to the report, Apple's share of the U.S. streaming market went up by 1%, taking them to a 5% total share. So they're not necessarily dominating, but slowly, very slowly moving in the right direction. And they did actually beat out Paramount+. Plus. The rest of the market is actually fairly well distributed, with Netflix having about a 25% share, although that's down 2%. Uh, that's followed by Amazon Prime Video at 19%, Hulu and Disney+, Plus each with 13%, and HBO Max with 12%. Actually, HBO Max had the largest gain in percentages um, quarter over quarter. Apple this week also picked up a new film fresh out of Sundance. This is according to Variety. Cha-Cha Real Smooth is a film by Cooper Rafe, who also stars in the movie. It apparently garnered a lot of buzz and attention at this year's Sundance Film Festival, and a bidding war ensued between Apple, Netflix, Amazon, and Sony Pictures. According to the report, Apple ultimately won, paying out possibly around $15 million for the rights to the film. Apple updated and released a bunch of new betas for iOS and macOS out to developers this past week. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I think there's some notable and kind of cool stuff in there for us to talk about. First and foremost, macOS 12.3 beta and iPadOS 15.4 beta have finally made the universal control feature available for all of us to get a look at. And as a matter of fact, that was actually enough to finally get me to update to macOS Monterey. I was still, in, still running macOS Catalina. And yes, I did update directly to a public beta, no less. So right out of the frying pan and into the fire. I don't know what, maybe I wasn't in the frying pan before, but you get my point. I, did, I went straight to a beta after being hesitant about updating to uh to mac os monterey so far it's gone smoothly knock on wood of course i have all of my backups as you likely know so uh, i felt pretty safe in upgrading and i really did want to try out the new universal control feature and i have to say i checked it out uh, with my ipad and my mac and it is absolutely magical there's no other way to describe it it is definitely worth the wait uh, of Apple, whatever they did, whatever engineering they needed to do to make that a seamless and smooth experience, they definitely pulled it off. I used my Magic Keyboard on my iPad and was able to drag my cursor right over the to the edge of the screen next to my MacBook Pro, and it slid right over, and suddenly I was controlling my Mac uh, mouse and keyboard from my Magic Keyboard on my iPad. And then I could do exactly the opposite with my trackpad and keyboard on my MacBook Pro, swiping over and going over and controlling my iPad. It was incredible, amazing, worked as advertised, 
and it is really, really cool. The universal control feature can be found under the display panel of system preferences on the Mac or under general airplay and handoff cursor and keyboard in the beta version of iOS 15.4. And again, you're going to need the uh, beta version of Mac OS 12.3 or iPad OS 15.4 to try this out now. But I would imagine those will be releasing sometime soon, at least in the next uh, few weeks for everyone iOS 15.4 also has new functionality that will allow you to use Face ID even with a mask on. This new version does not require that you have an Apple Watch. That was something that Apple enabled previously. With this new feature, Apple says it actually scans the unique features around the eye area to help authenticate you using Face ID. Now, this feature is a little bit more, I think, processor processor intensive in terms of the neural engine so you will need to have an iphone 12 or an iphone 13 model for this feature to work and again remember these are all in the betas so they will be coming soon for the rest of us tvos 15.4 adds a new up next item in the video player so you can now select up next while watching a video video now presumably i would think you would do this during the credits so that it would allow you to select an item from your up next list that you might want to watch next so you don't have to go back out to the main screen you can just go binge your shows right out of your up next list and then another really cool feature that tvos 15.4 seems to bring is the ability to allow you to connect to a captive Wi-Fi network like you might find in a hotel. This was a problem. We actually covered this on the MacCast and had some tips and tricks and workarounds for it. So if you want to take your Apple TV with you when you travel on vacation and hook it up to a hotel television, that's always been a little bit challenging because a lot of those have a captive network where you have to go to a web page and you have to enter a password uh, to actually get connected to and get on the network. This new feature allows you to use your iPhone or your iPad to connect your Apple TV to that captive network so that you can enter the password and credentials and get your Apple TV connected. So that's going to be a great solution for folks who want to travel with an Apple TV. And then Bloomberg is reporting that Apple may add the ability to use your iPhone to receive contactless payments. Of course, you can already use Apple Pay and NFC to make payments with your iPhone, but businesses who want to accept Apple Pay or other contactless payment options have had to use third-party readers like the Square Reader to do that. According to this report, Apple is looking into allowing apps to be able to leverage the NFC chip that's in the iPhone to actually read and capture Uh, contactless payments. They say the feature would be enabled via a software update and could be added as soon as in the iOS 15.4 update. We don't know that for sure, but that could be another thing that's coming. So a bunch of really cool new features. Obviously, I didn't list everything. If you want to check out what's in all of the betas that were released last week, you can find information on Apple's beta website of all those features and updates that are coming in iOS and Mac OS, Watch OS, iPad OS, TV OS, HomePod OS. Can we just call them the OSs? Like, I don't know. We need to come up with an easier term. I think we can stick with just uh, Mac OS and iPad OS, and we'll know what we're talking about, right? If you're cool with that, uh, let me know. But I, I think that should be okay. Anyway, lots of cool new features coming.
And then finally, in the news for this week, Apple has logged another record quarter. Apple had its Q1 2022 earnings call this week. That covers the fourth financial quarter of 2021. And despite supply chain issues, they came through with stellar numbers. Revenue was up 11% year over year, coming in at almost $124 billion with a profit of $34.6 billion. Breaking things down by category, Apple says they made $71.63 billion on iPhone. That was up 9% year over year. $10.8 billion on Mac, up 25% year over year. So big leap in Mac sales, as you might imagine. A lot of that because of the new M1 systems. Apple says sales broke through the $10 billion mark for the first time ever. They also say that a big part of that growth was due to the success of the redesigned MacBook Pro powered by the M1 and that the M1 MacBook Pros are selling particularly well within the enterprise. $7.2 billion in revenue for iPad. That was actually down 14% year over year. And Apple says part of that decline for iPads was, was due to supply chain constraints, they say, in legacy nodes. So I'm assuming that means they're trying to expand suppliers for iPad parts to maybe avoid that in the future. $14.7 billion in wearables, home, and accessories. That's up 13% year over year. And uh, big growth, as you might imagine, in services, $19.5 billion in revenue, up 24% year over year. And Apple did very well in China this quarter. Uh, they say China alone accounted for a 21% increase in sales. And then some few other interesting odds and ends, specifically around services. Apple's services margin, uh, so the margin on services is 72.4% profit margin. That is amazing, but I think it does make it a little bit harder for Apple to justify the fees that they say they have to charge developers to help run the App Store and cover all that costs and overhead. And uh, to be fair, I don't know if they ever have directly said that, but it's always been implied that that's why they need that 30%. And I guess now really 15% for the majority of developers, 30% for the developers that make over a million dollars in revenue, which I think is a small percentage. But man, that is a lot of a uh, lot of margin there. Overall gross margin for the entire quarter was at 43.8%. So Apple getting really healthy margins. That's great for their bottom line. And growth in services and revenue is also probably helped by the fact that Apple says they now have 1.8 billion active devices circulating around the planet. And they're probably going to hit 2, mil 2 billion, excuse me, with a B, 2 billion devices um, probably in this quarter. So a lot of Apple products out there. That is a lot of services that you can sell into. And so we expect probably services growth to continue on that upward trend. But Apple doing a great stellar job this quarter. Again, record-breaking. Um, and I think there are some people who thought maybe they wouldn't do it, but they definitely pulled it off. And uh, it's pretty exciting. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Kanji. You know, if you work in IT or tech support in an Apple environment and have to manage multiple devices and machines, you know how time-consuming and challenging that can be. 
As an Apple admin, the more you let your users control which apps are installed on their devices, the better for you. Kanji's self-service app lets you do just that on both iOS and macOS. And not only that, I can tell you it will make your users a lot happier. I actually work in an environment that is extremely locked down, and I know firsthand how frustrating it is for me and my sysadmins that I have to create a ticket every time I need something updated or installed on my Mac. With Kanji, you can show users a curated list of apps that they can install on their own. You can customize that self-service app with your own branding, help text, and software categories. Apps in Kanji's auto app catalog can also be set to deliver via self-service, and once installed, they are patched automatically. Kanji has been focused on device autonomy through automated remediation since they first started. If an app is uninstalled or a setting changed, the Kanji agent detects it and fixes it, saving you time and stress. Kanji can also help protect endpoints by enforcing over 150 pre-built security controls. These controls go beyond the scope of the MDM framework to help you secure your devices. They also automatically remediate even when your devices are offline. Go to kanji.io slash maccast for a free demo or trial. That's k-a-n-d-j-i dot i-o slash maccast. kanji.io slash maccast for a free trial or demo. And a big thank you to Kanji for their support of the show. Last time on the MacCast, we had a question about KVMs, keyboard video monitor switches, or mouse, keyboard video mouse switches, excuse me. Uh, Thing that we used to deal with in the past, especially when we had wired mice and keyboards, um, but we don't have as much these days, but it's still kind of a challenge because many of us uh, are now maybe working from home or we have multiple machines and systems and We want to kind of consolidate the space on our desk. We maybe only want to have one set of monitors and a single keyboard and a single uh, trackpad or mouse. And we want to be able to control everything uh, regardless of which machine we're kind of working with. And so I had somebody ask a question about, hey, what products are out there? What can we do? Is there anything to kind of uh, replace the traditional KVM switch? And I, I had a few ideas on that show, but... I didn't really come up with anything solid and I threw it out to you in the community to see, hey, is there something out there that I'm not thinking of? What are you doing to kind of solve this problem? And I actually got a lot of great feedback from you. First of all, Ryan wrote in to say that he's turned to just using a dock. Uh, In this specific case, his Anker USB-C dock, but it could be a Thunderbolt dock. Um, And basically he connects everything to that Uh, including his monitor, and then uses that to connect either to his Mac or his PC. Now, he did note it's a little less than ideal because you basically have to disconnect one and connect to the other, but it is just a single cable, so that kind of solves that problem. For the mouse and keyboard, he's using a Logitech wireless mouse and keyboard that does have that multi-device option. Uh, This is something we talked about on the last episode of MacCast. There are a number of Bluetooth products out there now that will allow you to basically pair multiple devices, usually up to three, and I think that's what the Logitech one does. You have three different uh, paired devices, and then it usually has a switch or a button on it that allows you to toggle between those, because that's the big challenge, right, is typically if you pair a device to a Bluetooth device to a machine, 
it's kind of locked to that machine. And then to move it to another one, you have to unpair it and repair it. And that's why this idea of having actually a KVM is really appealing uh, because then you can just push a button and kind of switch everything over. But with wireless, it's a little bit more challenging unless you have one of these devices that sort of does the automatic switching. I wish Apple would actually set something like this up for their products, just like they have with the AirPods, right? My AirPods magically switch from device to device, depending upon which one I'm using. And it works pretty good, not 100% of the time, but it's pretty darn good. If they could do that with their their mice and keyboards, that would take it to the next level. But until then, we do have some of these products out there and you can find them that just have the switching in there. So that's kind of how Ryan is handling things. Then I got an email from Daniel and a few others who said, hey, I don't even do that at all. I just have my mouse and keyboard and monitor hooked up to my Mac. And then for my other systems, I use remote desktop or VNC. And so they use screen sharing. They connect to the other machines when necessary using that. Um, And this works even, you know, if the machine's not in the same room. So that's kind of a great way to free up some desk space. You can have your PC off or your Mac off in another location, your second Mac, have your primary Mac there on your desk with your monitors and stuff like that. And then you use screen sharing or remote desktop when you need to, to connect to those other uh, systems. And that works great if what you're doing on those other systems isn't really video intensive. You're not going to be doing any kind of gaming or, you know, photo editing probably on a remote computer because there is a little bit of lag and it's not the best video experience. But I would imagine if you're looking at just browsing or um, doing some simple text work or those sorts of applications, it would be totally fine for this. You might not even know that you're on a remote machine. And working over a LAN, the setup's a little bit simpler. You don't have to kind of break through firewalls and stuff like that. So kind of a nice option. Um maybe won't work for everyone, but a good idea and something I hadn't really thought about. And plus it's built into your Mac. It's built into Mac OS and it's relatively easy to set up. You just go into system preferences, go under sharing, turn on sharing on the Macs that you want to connect to and set up the accounts and user uh, options. And then if you want to use VNC, you can click on the computer settings and enable VNC to do it that way. VNC is kind of nice because you could even connect from an iPad or an iOS device using a VNC app. Um, so that is kind of an interesting option and one I hadn't really thought about. And this is one of the reasons we turned to the community to find out, hey, what are you doing? What are you using? And then finally, uh, David wrote in to say he uses a monitor that has multiple inputs or sources. So you could do this with a monitor that maybe has a DVI input and an HDMI input or a Thunderbolt input and a DVI input. Or I think there are other monitors out there that just have multiple basically sources like a TV, and then you use one for your Mac and one for your PC or one for each Mac, however you want to set it up. And then you can just use the switch on the monitor to switch between uh, which computer display you're looking at. And then David too said he does use a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard that can, that can pair with multiple devices and switch between them. So that seems to be a common solution for a lot of people to solve this problem. So that's pretty cool and a lot of great options out there. Um, I also had someone write in and say there actually is now quote unquote wireless KVMs. 
Um, and what these seem to be is really wireless HDMI connections and then a little box that handles kind of the Bluetooth connectivity and stuff like that. They are super expensive. I mean, I'm talking like these were five, six hundred, seven hundred dollars. So I think they're really designed for enterprise applications and probably server rooms and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know if it's a real good solution for most of us, but that is another thing that's out there on the market. I couldn't really find any that were, you know, affordable in my mind. So I don't think that's a great option, but it is another option that was out there that I didn't really know about. So there's some things uh, that you can do. If you have a different solution or another solution or something we haven't found or thought about, maybe there still is like modern KVMs out there. If you want to use a wired mouse and keyboard, um, I haven't run across those either. They all seem to be the old traditional kind that I'm finding. So if you know of a really cool product, share that with us, shoot us an email, send me an audio comment, mattcast at gmail.com. And then one little bit of a follow-up item from the last show, just another one, is the last time we also discussed ways to free up space on your Mac. And I talked about one of my favorite applications, uh, Clean My Mac X, and um one of the features that it has in it is an uninstaller to help you kind of get all the little bits and pieces of your application. Um, Alan emailed in and said, hey, if you don't want to go for that, uh, remember there's a great free app out there called App Cleaner. Uh, it's from FreeMac Software. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. And it's just a simple uninstaller uh, for your apps and you can grab that one. And like I said, it's totally free. So thank you, Alan, for uh, reminding us about that one. And so that's just a little bit of follow-up that I had from the previous episode of the MacCast. Apple doesn't currently offer a pink iPhone, although there are some out there who really wish they would. They have in the past, and I hear from a lot of people that say, hey, I really hope Apple does a pink iPhone. Uh, Still, it seems like some folks right now, uh, owners of iPhone 13s, are getting a pink iPhone whether they want it or not. Uh, I seem to remember this from the launch of the iPhone 13. I think this was reported as a potential issue uh, where screens were actually turning pink or getting a pink hue to them. Uh, This past week, though, 9to5Mac said that more and more customers seem to be occasionally getting these pink screens on their iPhone 13s. And at first, it was thought that maybe this was a hardware issue, some some kind of defective displays on some iPhones, or maybe displays that were failing on a few models of iPhone. But the reports seem to have persisted and are continuing to go on. And actually, it's looking more and more like this might be a software issue, according to the reports. And I wanted to point this out just in case anyone in our community has been hit by this. Now, the theory is, is that there might be a software issue between iOS and out-of-date apps. So it seems to be triggered maybe by older apps that haven't been updated in a while. And something in those apps seems to cause the screen to pick up this kind of pink cast. Uh, Luckily, if you've been hit by this, there's some pretty easy workarounds right now that you can go through uh, and some things you might be able to do to possibly prevent the issue. Uh, first is just rebooting the phone. It seems to reset things, although launching an, an offending app again might likely bring back the issue. So it's not really a permanent solution. So, 
Another thing you should probably look into is making sure that all of your apps are up to date. And if you have older apps that might be triggering this, see if you can get a, a more updated version of that. Uh, also, make sure you're running all of your iOS updates. So as new iOS updates come out, you probably want to grab those because Apple might address it in a future software update. They don't seem to have yet, um, but they could they could address it maybe from their side uh, I would assume they're aware of the issue at this point because it has been kind of covered in the media and stuff like that. So might want to do that. And again, hopefully Apple is looking to fix this in a future software update. But if you have been hit by the uh, the pink iPhone screen, and again, this only seems to affect iPhone 13 models, um, that's what's going on. And uh, the community is kind of aware of it. And uh, hopefully, again, Apple will have a fix. Do you remember RIP? burn mix it was a pretty popular and controversial ad campaign back when apple launched itunes i think right around when itunes first came out and basically it encouraged you to rip or convert your cds to digital mp3s so you could actually sync them over to your ipod so you could you know rip them create mixes and and playlists and stuff like that sync those over to your ipod take your music with you and uh you know that's what we did for a really really long time right we did syncing of our music to our ipods that's before icloud music library came out that's before the birth of streaming services and uh you know now with that happening very few people or less and less people seem to be ripping cds uh and putting music into the music app. But there are still people out there who want to do exactly that. Uh, the problem is these days that uh, Macs, most Macs, don't have CD or DVD drives. So how do you do that? And that's actually what Ron asked me this week. He said, do you know of any standalone CD player that could be used to transfer music from a CD onto an iPhone or an iPod? And I don't know about although I imagine this might exist, some sort of device that could actually rip MP3s directly onto a, a hard drive or a USB stick. I'm sure they exist out there. Um, but for just getting music off of a CD onto your Mac and then eventually onto your iPhone or iPod, it's pretty easy these days to get a compatible, a Mac compatible, external USB DVD drive and they're relatively affordable. I think you can get them as low as, you know, 20 or 30 bucks. Uh, and actually, iMore has a really great uh, list of kind of their five favorite ones. I will link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. I personally, I think I picked up a, like a Samsung one uh, years ago, and I have it up on a shelf, and I pull it out whenever I need to uh, either convert a DVD or, you know, get a new CD and, and put that into my music library. And it works great. You just connect it via USB, it mounts, and uh, you rip away. So to rip, you still use iTunes. I mean, uh, music. <laughs> it's the music app now. They rebranded it. But it basically has all the same functionality. It still works the same old way that it always did. So you just open up the music app, uh, go into the preferences, go to the files tab, and then click on the import settings to set up the format that you want to import your music to your Mac uh, as so you can do mp3 although i would probably recommend nowadays you use the aac with the itunes plus option that's basically i think the format that apple 
essentially rips most iTunes music in uh, before they went to lossless. I guess you could also do lossless if you want to do that, and you have devices that support lossless now. Uh, but the AAC iTunes Plus is probably going to be the most compatible with your uh, your Apple and your Mac devices. If you want to go, you know, fully compatible with everything, stick with MP3, uh, and that should work fine for you. But whatever you want to do, uh, set up your import settings. And then you can insert your CDs and rip away. Just pull it right into your um, music library. And then once you have it in the music app, all you have to do if you want to sync it over your device manually is hook up your iPhone or your iPod to your Mac uh, using a cable or uh, wirelessly, select it in the finder, and then sync that music over to your device. And of course, if you have iCloud Music Library, you could sync it up there and then sync it that way as well. So it's pretty easy these days to get that in there. Biggest challenge really is just getting a, uh, a DVD drive or a CD drive that you can actually connect up to your Mac. But they're definitely affordable, definitely out there. And uh, uh, Ron, I hope that helps you out uh, with your solution and have fun uh, ripping your CD library. And then finally for this week, I have a listener thing of the moment for you. This is an app called Photobulk. It's actually from a listener, Stephen, and it is great for photographers out there, web developers, or anyone who just wants to batch process photos. And it is a simple, clean app. It's got a great UI, and it basically lets you batch process your images in a number of ways. You can do a number of different things with them. Of course, you can resize them, you can reformat them, and you can rename them. It has all kinds of great options for that. Um, for photographers out there who maybe want to protect their materials if they're posting them online, it lets you add watermarks, and you can use images, text, date stamps, and you can mix and match and combine those. So you can really kind of customize that. You can brand your watermark and, and and put that on there in batch so you can do you know a number of images all at once uh, it will let you optimize your images your png and jpeg images this is great again for web developers who want to kind of squash them and maybe remove metadata get excess data out of there and get their image files as small as they possibly can and still maintain quality get to get those up on the web uh, make sure that they're fully optimized uh, you can also control all of the metadata that might be included or not included in your processed photos. So if you don't want to have that out there, maybe you want to remove things like location data before you share them or post them online. Those sorts of things, you can do that with this app. So it has a lot of really great little features and options. It's one of those apps that's you know highly specialized and just does one thing really, really well. And I love I love apps like that. They're they are often the best apps, right? They're not trying to be everything. They're not trying to do everything. They just do one task and they do it really, really well. So great recommendation from Stephen. Thank you for sending that in. Uh, this app is called Photo, Photo Bulk. It's available in the Mac App Store. It costs just ten dollars US nine ninety nine. And actually, if you have a set app subscription already. Uh, you can get it included with that. It's already part of SetApp. So you may already have access to this, this program. And uh, really, really cool. So thank you for sending that in, Stephen. And with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Before I leave you, I do want to take a moment and thank my show sponsor, Smile, makers of Text Expander. You can get more information and details on Text Expander by, by visiting textexpander.com slash podcast. 
Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of MacCast, or maybe you have your own thing of the moment, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, MacCast on Instagram. But that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.